to episode 347 of Cinematary. I'm your host, Zach Dennis, and I'm here with... Andrew Swafford. Nathan Smith. And in today's episode, we'll be talking about movies that we saw this week in part one, and music videos that we saw this week in part one. <laughs> and in part two, we'll be kicking off our music video series with a history of music videos. Um, head over to cinematary.com, though. You can find it there as well. We'll have a link to that, as well as um, a pl- link to the playlist of a lot of the music videos that we have uh, in this episode. But you can also read some reviews. We got the, the Zack Snyder's Justice League review from Astrid Gilbert up. Uh, we also have Bullet in the Head and Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. So if you've not read those reviews, they're on the website. Go check it out, cinematary.com. Uh, but let's go ahead and jump into uh, movies that we saw this week. And we'll start with the movie and then shift over to the, the music video so that we'll have like a nice, clean uh, transition. Nathan, I'm going to butcher this name. I know you wrote about it, so I'm going to let you pronounce it. Is it, how do you say the first um, God, name? Let me let me pull up my review really quick is it, because it is has, it not just Malni? I thought it was Malni, but he put the he put like the actual pronunciation is, in his review. Yeah, no, it is. Um, gosh, it is Mothney. Mothney. Actually. Um, the like the L is it's like a th. Has, yeah, it has like a okay squiggle through it of some kind um, yeah so yeah. so mothney towards the ocean towards the shore this is the new uh well it's the first feature film for sky Opinka, the director who i talked about a couple like a month or so ago on the podcast mm-hmm. um but this is this is his first feature length movie it was playing on the metrograph streaming service but i think is now on grasshoppers streaming service Mm. so you you Mm -hmm. can still find it um but he is yeah and it's it's also still available like through like i read about it for the nashville scene so it's available through like the Belcourt in nashville and like different independent cinemas um the Maisel cinema in new york i think is is screening it and you know different it'll probably eventually it'll eventually land on criterion channel i'm sure since they have all of his other stuff yeah Yeah. and it'll probably get a release on blu-ray and dvd because grasshopper's been pretty good at that as well so oh yeah um but this, but if you're, it's pretty in line with a lot of his other films. Um, this one though is looking at um, the origin of a death myth, uh, myth by the Chinookan people, and that are based in the Pacific Northwest. Um, it's specifically uh, following these two uh, people who live there. You have uh, one a guy named Jordan Mercier who. Uh, like has kind of a family is about to have another kid is kind of reflecting on things from that angle and then uh you have another character played by uh or who, who's who is uh, her name sweetwater sam and she is about to have a child and kind of going at you know looking at life from that perspective where she is about to enter kind of that family life um Nathan, you wrote about it for the Nashville scene, um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I know that you're you're. I th- are you re- like? Are you pretty familiar, a big fan of his work previously? I've seen, uh, yeah, I've seen some of his work. Um, I feel like you know he's been kind of a name on the sort of you know in the avant garde programs at TIFF and New York Film Festival and all of those big festivals the past couple of years. You know if if you pay attention to any of those festivals at all, you know, he's somebody whose name kind of comes up a lot. And, um, 
You know, he's very um, concerned with, like, nature and landscape, and, and there's a real kind of, like, environmental ambient kind of texture to his work. You know, there's a real sort of, like the pleasure of of sort of being in the wilderness and and the outdoors and um so a lot of a lot of this movie is kind of about that in a way like um Sweetwater like goes regularly to like a waterfall uh to like kind of like cleanse basically like both physically and also just to sort of like meditate and reflect and to just sort of like bring good energy towards her unborn child and like um so it's the movie kind of i feel like does that for you like as a viewer a little bit like it feels like being cradled in like a kind of comforting womb a little bit just it's very um you know it's not like over the top in like abstraction or kind of like visual flourish but it does have these sort of you know, very sort of colorful, um, lyrical passages mixed in with the sort of more traditional documentary interview portions of the movie. Um, and you know, I, you, when we did our like avant-garde series a few years ago, we were trying to kind of, um, maybe introduce people to avant-garde or, or suggest films or re talk about movies that were good for people who are not super familiar uh, with those kind of movies. And I feel like this is something that, plays really well on those multiple levels where it's like if you're well versed in this kind of you know hybrid avant-garde non-fictional filmmaking um then you know i think there's a lot to be gotten out of it but if if it's not your like wheelhouse i think it also still really resonates just because it's like such a I don't know it's a very sort of personal and, and intimate movie um these people are not like Sky Hupinka's family but they're people that he has developed really close relationships with and you know they really trust him with just sort of opening up and reflecting about their lives and sort of I think the main kind of thing that the movie's like reflecting on and grappling with is sort of just like cycles of of life across generations and for these people like you know as indigenous people um trying to like preserve their culture and pass it on to their children they're sort of wrestling with you know like how do we keep these cultural practices alive um you know like Jordan grows his hair long and keeps it in braids, you know, as kind of a tribute to his ancestors, but he still like wears like a, a Portland blazers cap and stuff. And, you know, so he's sort of like integrating the traditional and the modern. And, um, but it's also about, you know, while you're doing that, while you're sort of passing on positive traditions, breaking the like negative traditions of, of cycles of addiction or trauma or abuse or whatever, which are really sadly, you know, super prevalent in, in indigenous and native American communities in the U S just because those populations have been so underserved, um, as particularly on reservations, you know, there's, there's such issues with, with addiction and, um, poverty. And, and so, you know, these, these people are trying to figure out, you know, like how to keep going, how to, you know, have a stable life, um, and remember where you've come from, but, bring the good things out of that and not the bad things. Um, so I think the movie is about, you know, kind of weaving things together and sort of with that style, like, you know, it brings together interviews and then more abstract sequences. And so it has this kind of twofold approach. I feel like sort of like the movie is doing a little bit thematically. Um, so yeah, I, it's one of, I, you know, I've, I was just like really, um, 
it's just a really nice vibe, I guess, you know, like, yeah, I don't know, it's, not to like very, minimalize it's it. It's, nourishing. Yeah, it goes to like, you know, very serious kind of heavy places, but it is just sort of a like refreshing movie. I just feel like it's very easy to, especially now, just, you know, watching everything on like a screener link or whatever. It's just sort of easy to just have things sort of wash over you in a like very meaningless way. And this feels like it washes over you in like a good way where it's like actually sort of like, (laughs) you know, I don't know, just like enveloping you in sensation a little bit. I mean, that just exactly describes my experience watching a lot of his shorts, um, especially feigning spells, which I think Zach and Mm -hmm. I would uh, both agree is our favorite very good this and it's very much in line with that like nathan described it well um because he has those he has some of his shorts are more are more abstract where it's a lot of like the and i talked about it when i talked about some of his shorts a couple weeks ago where he has like the you know images kind of going over one another and he kind of plays around with like the color um and you have less of that it's much more um in line with it's much more straightforward you know he has um i think it's in feigning spells where he has like the text that rolls across and you don't really have any of the flourishes like that it's a little bit more straightforward um but it's almost like he uh kind of zeroes in on what Nathan was describing, like the, the vibes of it. Like you just really kind of get settled into this, to this landscape in a way that I don't think you've like his short, like you're unable to do in his shorts because you don't spend necessarily enough time to get that settled in. Like by the, like by the end of the movie, I was very, I was very like in like very comforted in the, in the, uh, you know, rainy forest waterfall that that Sweetwater keeps going <laughs> to it was really nice mm-hmm. um and it's kind of like just this near perfect like rainy day um like have a nice hot cup of tea and watch this movie kind of thing like it was it was just very much a, a nice mood movie and um I'll be interested to see if he kind of continues doing more feature work because I really like the way that he's able to explore. Um, there was something at least to me more meaningful about the way he explores identity in this than, you know, there's a lot of movies um, much in much more mainstream uh, fashions that are like exploring identity in a way. And I feel like there's something much more true to this. You know, you mentioned that um, Jordan has like the, the braided hair and then he has a Portland trailblazers hat on. And he, he tells the story very early in the film, um, where he's talking about like going to school and people and the other kids like commenting on his hair and how he, like he was reflecting on that experience, but then it was kind of worrying him because like he was worried about like his own kids having to go through that. And he, he kind of reflects on like, you know, why are his kids still have, you know, why, are, why are they still having to deal with that? Like he understands to a degree why he had to deal with it, but why are they having to deal with it? And there's just something very natural and very honest about the conversations that Sky Apinka gets out of his, out of the two subjects. Um, and there's just these really, yeah. I think that's like the that's like the right word for it is conversations. They don't really feel like interviews, you know. They feel like just conversations a little bit. Yeah, and it and it, uh, and it very much um, like kind of uh, like brings you into this sense of community. There's like this prolonged sequence, kind of half a little over halfway through the film, where they have this. Um, they're like in a school gym and they're performing this 
uh, traditional um, dance and it's like encompassing like everybody in the gym um, and you can see like people from the the tribe or like you know people who are familiar with it like engaging in it and then you have like i think people who are just from the you know town or what have you who are kind of just like this seems interesting and like taking part in it but there's like something kind of nice about the way they incorporate people the the way they incorporate everybody and just the communal feel of everything like there's just something very uh warm about that so um i i i second what you say like this i think this is a very accessible avant-garde film for for folks and um if i think it's i mean like i said when i talked about his shorts a couple weeks ago i think he's somebody worth checking out definitely and i i you know you mentioned that one dance uh sequence and there's another one a little bit later that's like filmed kind of differently where you have a sort of like uh kind of time lapse sort of like I don't know, some some kind of like short cranking, like kind of stuttering effect. Um, And it's like this dance is happening on like a high school football field. And so you just see this like green astroturf while these bodies are moving over it in this very sort of like stuttering kind of uh, way. And it just really feels like the sort of very sort of like potent visual metaphor for sort of like bringing um, sort of like older traditions into like contemporary community spaces, Um, you know, sort of like drawing a link between like the ritual of going to (laughs) high school football games and, you know, doing a sort of like community ceremonial dance. Um, I think he just has a real talent for kind of finding like very meaningful images like that. Yeah, no, it's and there. And it was also kind of nice seeing him, uh, like on a whole other level, it was nice seeing him like clearly have like a little bit more of like a like an actual budget, you know, because like yeah. they have these they have these really, really nice shots where it's like um, it's like showing like the water and like like kind of the trees and like kind of cliff land. Like it's super pretty. Um, and there's something that, like you can clearly tell that he has like an eye for it so that it kind of elevates it from feeling like some sort of like travel documentary or something like it. it, it like there's something really powerful. Is it that he has like a nicer camera or better clearly it's, or it's, what? He just kind of has like some like high tech pro equipment. Uh, not that not that his other stuff looks bad. It's just like you can see like there's like a jump in quality with that compared to some of the other stuff it has a his older stuff or his short stuff has kind of a handheld yeah quality this, this to seems it. like it was shot like a, with like a 4k legit camera so it's it, it, it was just really pretty like i was just like oh this is really nice this is <laughs> you know very serene um but yeah like we mentioned uh you can find the film on a variety of different streaming platforms and if you're gonna watch it you might as well um support a uh, local theater you know one of the local local chains so do that um all right andrew i'm gonna toss it over to you you're gonna kind of bleed us oh we're going straight to my yeah you're gonna kind of bleed us into the you will bleed into the uh the music videos okay well yeah we're talking about um avant-garde stuff and we're talking about music videos um i wanted to talk about a music video that i think does a really good job of blending uh those two things um and i think we'll talk more about how Um, the avant-garde nature of music videos when we get into part two. Um, But there's this music video that I watched that came out last year and that really struck me that I've actually been trying to um, get a piece published 
uh, about, uh, but so far I've gotten no bites about it. Uh, but that music video is uh, the song Forever uh, by the British electronic pop artist Charlie XCX. Uh, and Zach, I'll actually drop the link in the chat in case you want to throw the video up on the screen for people watching. Um, but this was part of Charlie XCX's um, quarantine album that she made last year called How I'm Feeling Now, which she uh, kind of put together somewhat collaboratively with fans over Zoom. She was kind of like live streaming her work sessions and like taking feedback from, from listeners and stuff like that. Um, and the music video uh, for Forever is much in the same spirit. Um, it seems what she's done it was um, commission for fans to like send in footage of like how they were spending their quarantine um, in the early days of the quarantine. Um, and she has, along with an editor uh, slash co-director whose name is Dan Strait, uh, they have uh, compiled it all together as sort of this collage film um, that on one level reminds me of, um, you know, the old silent collage films like Man with a Movie Camera, uh, but they're also much more modern um, precedents like uh, Godfrey Reggio's Quina Scotsi um, or the project Life in a Day, which Ridley Scott um, contributed to. Uh, it's very much like Life in a Day in that, like, in that documentary, it's kind of compiling footage from all over the world and kind of showing the ways in which people's daily routines um, are similar and the ways in which they are different. Um, at the beginnings of this music video are kind of structured the same way. Like, it's showing how everybody uh, gets up in the morning and has, has the same, like, morning routine and has the same, like, uh, ways in which they, they bond with their family members and their friends while they're quarantining with them and things like that. Um, but the, the like energy and like the editing style of this music video is so frenetic and so beautiful. Um, I mean, shots do not last longer than a a second, like ever. (laughs) Um, and in many cases it's less than a second and it becomes kind of stroboscopic by the end of the video. So that if like, if you suffer from epilepsy on any level, this is maybe not a video to watch, but, um, it is just on like a raw, um, like filmmaking editing level, like really amazing to, to um, like catch all the really clever match cuts uh, that are happening throughout here to kind of unify all these disparate experiences that people are having. Um, and it's, I think, just on an emotional level, a very beautiful uh, piece of art, like capturing what last year was like um, in in a way that is kind of celebratory and loving. Uh, you know, the, the sentiment behind quarantining, locking yourself in your home for, you know, uh, weeks or months on end comes from a place of love, right? Like not wanting to harm uh, people in your community or people in, in the global community. Um, and there's also kind of a melancholy attached to it as well of like missing friends and wanting to get back together with people and, and do things that uh, used to be so normal. But now we have this like such wistful nostalgia for um, and and the the video kind of takes like the past and future of COVID into account too. Um, there are definitely shots in here um, of like recorded uh, uh, documents of things that happened before the pandemic, like people getting together in huge concert venues and stuff like that. Um, which also like it feels like these are glimpses at like memories of you know the way we used to live and the the way in which we are kind of like looking forward to living again one day once everything is normal. Um, 
Um, but it, the, the video just comes from such a place of love of like, you know, uh, wanting to, to connect with fellow humans any way you can, even if it's just digitally, even if it's just through this, like, you know, weird collaborative art project that Charlie XCX has put together. Um, and, uh, like I said, the filmmaking is just kind of next level too. It's, I don't know if I've seen a music video that goes quite as hard as this one in terms of how it is edited. Uh, and Nathan and Zach, you guys are, are you watching this for the first time? Have you seen this before? I haven't seen this and I'm just cracking up at the person with the, uh, poster for the Suspiria remake on their wall. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. That comes up a couple of times. But I like times. the match cuts of like the um, middle fingers and, you know, just finding yeah. a rhythm between these common there's, images. There's one match cut of like people, somebody like jumping in this like neon lit space and they fall down and immediately cuts to somebody like uh, sinking into the ocean as well. Like there's a lot of, of uh, really cool, like energetic uh, connections between images um, in the video. So it was actually my, it was the, the piece of like video media that resonated most with me last year, like more than any feature film. Um, that music video I came back to again and again and always kind of made me made me a little emotional when I watched it. Um, and it, it is like the the piece of video art that I will probably associate with 2020 more than any movie. Um, so go check it out if you haven't. Go listen to the Charlie XCX Quarantine album. It's great. Um, yeah, that's that's yeah forever i hadn't seen that that no that the editing in that is insane it's incredible yeah. <laughs> like like how did like i would just toss that up for you know the awards are stupid but like give that the oscar for best editing shit like for real yeah <laughs> like are you kidding me like that's so that's better edited than probably anything that's been nominated for the last like five years whatever certainly better than bohemian rhapsody I'll oh tell never you mind i take it back <laughs> i take it back never mind um and then, uh, well, and then I know you've talked about, or you haven't talked about this, but I know that they have the, is, now is this related to the documentary that came out this year? There's a documentary that, that just played at, I want to say South by Southwest this year, um, called Forever, I think. Is it? I'm forgetting the name of it. I think it's called Forever. Um, and it's about, it's documenting the making of the album collaboratively with fans. And so I, I really want to see that. I have kind of fished around for screener links to it, uh, but I have come up short. So if anybody wants to pay me to write about that documentary, I would love to do so. All right. So there you go, guys. Come on. Help help, help a guy out, people. Um well, cool. Nathan, you had a, a music video adjacent thing that you wanted to talk about. Yeah. Um, an artist that, you know, I, I would really have loved to work into this syllabus that we're going to be talking about in a little bit, which I mean, there were just so many <laughs> artists and music videos and, and just, you know, it could have been endless, I think. But um, one of my favorite music musical groups of all time, actually my favorite musical group of all time uh, outside of rap uh, is the Pet Shop Boys, um, you know, a group widely beloved internationally for songs like West End Girls and It's a Sin. Um, but a lot of people in the U.S. don't really know them. Like after the 1980s, they were just sort of, you know, lumped in with the kind of Brit <laughs> new British in invasion of new wave and synth pop. And um, people just sort of know those hits. And really, they, uh, I mean, have just like had a, a insanely prolific and creative career across multiple mediums. I mean, they're still making albums and 
you know, other groups of their generation are, you know, New Order, um, Echo and the Bunnymen, you know, are releasing albums here and there. But the Pet Shop Boys, I don't know, they just do it very differently where they're still very in touch, I think, with like contemporary trends and contemporary club culture. Um, and they're able to sort of play off of those sounds and like integrate, you know, in in, in the 2000s, you know, integrate a little bit of trance and in the, the 2010s, integrate a little bit of dubstep and, and kind of EDM. Um, and it never really comes off as like a how do you do fellow kids sort of thing. It's never as like corny as you think it would be. They somehow are just able to really keep the energy up. And for me, I think one of the really essential things about their work um, is their their video work um, and their performance work um, to me they're as much visual artists as musical artists and I mean if you know their work it's not really surprising because they have a very I don't know a very sort of like they have some kind of you know so story songs a little bit with like characters and that sort of lend themselves to a cinematic milieu and and they are very kind of like cine literate I guess you know they did a, a score to Battleship Potemkin um, they've you know written and uh, music for ballets and musicals and you know have this sort of I feel like you know they have such an operatic and kind of uh, symphonic tenor to their music that sort of just lends itself to like uh, the, 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 the cinematic medium, I guess. And so anyways, so I've been going through some of their concert movies recently, which they have actually quite a number of. And most of them are like on YouTube for free. I've just been uploaded by fans. Um, most of them, unfortunately, not in high quality. There are like Blu-ray releases and stuff of a lot of these. Uh, actually, part of the reason why I'm going through these is because there's a reissue coming out of their live show Discovery 1994 um, from from Rio de Janeiro, which is like one of their best live shows. They like mixed up uh, their own songs with club hits from the day, uh, from the mid nineties, like rhythm of the night and Mr. Vane, um, all while having just like ridiculous costumes and stuff. And so what, if you are turned tuned into the, the stream, what we're looking at right now, these sort of insane images of, of luchadors and like ballerinas and the fall of the Soviet union and all of this, this is from, uh, their 1991, uh, concert movie and tour performance. Um, which is like, I mean, I, they are, they are always good to me, but I think that like they were kind of at the height of their powers in a way at this point, because they were like really young and ambitious and had energy to do basically like musical theater, um, which this is just like, not really a concert. It's a straight up, like kind of opera with a strange narrative about like Catholic boarding school and, um, like I don't know neoliberalism and big business and like just it just goes to all these places <laughs> and it's and it's a very you know loose story you know there it's just kind of the songs but and it comes through and and like the choreography and and the images and stuff I mean like you have the head of Stalin being dragged on stage right now and uh, Neil Tennant is like not even singing he's like wearing a bowler hat prancing around while some other guy is singing and like you know they're just basically like casting themselves and musicians as sort of characters in this elaborate stage show um which i think in some ways this show really speaks to part of why i think they did not ever make it in the u.s like they did in europe or um, a lot of the global south even because they were just like at a, after a certain point um 
after they sort of officially came out as gay uh, in like the early 90s, they're just their work just is just like so unapologetically queer and very sexual and um, not just like, you know, there are other very successful musicians that um, play with the boundaries of, of sexuality and, and gender identity and, and stuff and, and gender performance. But a lot of those artists, you know, I don't know, George Michael, Prince, David Bowie, a lot of them still have music that you can relate to if you're like heterosexual, you know, it's still generally men like singing about women or, you know, kind of vague enough that you can project whatever your orientation is onto the song. Whereas with the Pet Shop Boys, they have a sort of much bleaker and kind of more intense songwriting style sometimes, even though it's very funny and dry and in a very British way, um, where they have songs, you know, about AIDS and songs about being, you know, imprisoned for being gay and just like, and, and, you know, sexual repression and childhood sexual abuse and all of these just like very intense aspects of like gay and queer experience that just, you know, you're not going to get on the radio in the United States doing that. And you're not going to get on MTV in the, you know, in the United States doing that necessarily. Um, and it's just kind of especially amazing to me that they did this show touring America, this just wildly elaborate and flamboyant and erotic opera, um, you know, in the early nineties, you know, just the post Reagan era. Um, and I'd also really recommend in addition to this, another great one is montage from 2001, which is a literally montage. Like it's a stage, you know, concert with like music videos overlaid on it. And like all of this footage kind of just projected on top of it. Some of it's like actual reprojection from the show. Some of it's like super impositioned and post. Um, and they just have like very ridiculous costumes. Like they're at the beginning of the show, Neil and Chris are wearing like frosted tip, like spiky wigs. And, um, they just always have like just the most ridiculous, things for their performers to wear and elaborate choreography, lots of like masks and bubble heads. And, um, and, and also the, like a lot of times in a very kind of like stop making sense way at the like sort of, uh, backup musicians a lot of times like steal the show. Um, you have like really great supporting vocalists, backup singers, dancers. Um, their most recent concert movie, Inner Sanctum, which is a show from um, Royal Albert Hall at in like 2018, there's this keyboardist who starts playing the fiddle during their song Love is a Bourgeois Contract. And um, she's like playing the synth and like holding her violin at the same time. And she just kind of like steals the whole show. And it's amazing. So anyways, um, that's probably enough about Pet Shop Boys. But there's just a whole wealth of um, great, great visual stuff from them on YouTube. And they've also recently been like uploading on their official YouTube, a lot of like, um, kind of, you know, not high quality necessarily because it's like still filmed on video and can't really be updated for that reason, but much more, uh, much better quality uploads than existed before. But just like all of these like great television performances from like top of the pops and stuff, um, which also a lot of times have these very cinematic sort of flourishes and affects and, um, their music videos are also really amazing. Um, you know, the nineties, they were really playing around with CGI in a way, um, that other people 
kind of weren't pushing it to that point yet. Um, and also, they just recently remastered um, their movie from 1987, It Couldn't Happen Here, um, which was sort of part of a wave of like British pop movies in the 80s. Like you had ABC's Man Trap and uh, Paul McCartney's Give My Regards to Broad Street, which are, you know, we're going to be talking about uh, feature length music videos a little bit later on in this series, but those are some sort of kind of like interesting predecessors to like Lemonade and, and stuff like that. Because um, It Couldn't Happen Here is like, like it has some like dialogue narrative scenes, but it's mostly sort of an abstract sort of s series of set pieces um, in between music videos. And it starts as this kind of like Richard Lester esque droll comedy road trip. And it, but it ultimately becomes this like industrial apocalyptic like journey into the center of of the hell that was Thatcher's England. Um, so just they are pushing boundaries in all kinds of ways um but also but still funny you know serious but love to have a laugh so those are the boys yeah i didn't know they were quite as uh, politically radical as they were i mean i knew they um you know were very outspoken about like um britain's uh, policies about queerness mm -hmm. um but yeah, seeing like hammer and sickles and stuff being drawn on stage in, in some of these videos is uh, very Yeah, neat. no, they have a, yeah, they just have a lot of that. Uh, Zach, what were you going to say? I was going to say, when, when did you say the, the thing that's coming out this year is coming out? Oh yeah. The like re yeah, it's like a CD DVD reissue of, um, Discovery Live in Rio 1994. I believe it comes out like April 30th. Um, and it's very interesting. Most of their reissues have been Blu-ray, but this specifically noted that they did not update it to or remaster it for Blu-ray because it was originally shot on videotape. And so there's really like not any point. Um, but it's a great it's like that show is already on YouTube. Um, and, you know, so I assume it will like still be a better transfer than what's on YouTube. Um, but it's a it's a really awesome stage show. Again, like, you know, if you love Bo Travai, uh, I, I definitely recommend checking that out because they do they 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 do fun stuff with Rhythm of the Night. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break and then we'll be talking about some more music videos, but we'll be going through the history of them after this. Hello, Cinematary listeners. This is your favorite Filipino podcaster, Jessica Carr. I'm here to let you know about a couple of things that Cinematary offers that you might not know about. First, if you're a fan of what Cinematary is doing, please consider joining us on Patreon. Remember when we weren't clamoring for your dollars? Or now we're just clamoring for five of your dollars. So please help us and donate to our Patreon, and then you'll get exclusive content from our staff, including our film theory and chill series where a panel takes a piece of theory each month and deconstructs it before diving into whatever topic is on their mind from the past week. The $5 each month is investment in the website and the podcast and it goes solely to paying our writers for the reviews each week so please consider doing it. It's only $5. If you missed an episode of Cinematary or a piece of writing we've had, you should consider signing up for our free newsletter. Each Sunday we send out a note with the latest podcast episode, piece of Patreon content 
content and the last two reviews that we've written at cinematary.com. It's perfect for those of you who are interested in what's happening and it makes sure that you don't miss a single Cinematary review. Finally, the easiest thing that you can do to help us is to please, please give us a rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever else you're using to listen to the show. This helps us get more eyeballs and ears on the podcast and the website, and it helps the people know about Cinematary, which is really what we're here for. So to recap, consider donating to our Patreon, sign up for the free newsletter, and give us a rating or review. We would really appreciate if you could do these things. Thank you for listening, and now back to the show. with part two of episode 347 of Cinematary. In this part, we will be kicking off our music video series with a brief history of music videos. And Nathan, I'm going to go ahead and toss it over to you because you curated the series. So I figured you should uh, introduce a little bit about why we decided to do this and uh, what you came up with in terms of the syllabus. Because if for those who are listening or watching, uh, go to cinematary.com, go to the, the episode page, and we'll have not only the videos that we're going to talk about, but also the syllabus that uh, Nathan made. All color And the links to where you can watch everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll say pretty much, you know, it's pretty much all on YouTube, but there are a couple videos that for a variety of reasons that we will talk about, I think, uh, are not available on YouTube in really, like, official high quality. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, we talked about doing a sort of music video and, and music film-focused series uh, just because I think we are all you know, believers and, and defenders of different types of like screen media that people don't often sort of consider like conventional classical cinema or, or whatever. Um, I know that, uh, back in, uh, cinema club days when we were, when, when, uh, some of us, who are now members of the Cinematary crew or members of the University of Tennessee Cinema Club crew. We did like a night of music video programming. Mm-hmm. Um, there was like little mini blocks of music videos where like Nathan picked five in a row and I picked five in a row. And it was really mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was good. And I think it's just like I think there are a lot of people who are who are really interested in criticism of and writing about and just the study of music videos, but there's just still not a ton of that. Um, there's a, I think there's a growing number of, of, um, music journalists who I see who are interested in music videos as a form, but I feel like I still won't see a lot of like the other way around, you know, like film critics talking about music videos seriously as cinema. I mean, I think there's more of it than there used to be, especially just with like, 
us being very a very digitally oriented culture and stuff but i think that you know it's still like you know a, a long way to go to be accepted as like really serious cinema you know i think maybe like thriller is in the the national Con uh, library of congress you know national film registry but i feel like that's about it in terms of music videos and and these things aren't really archived in general right like there aren't there aren't dvd sets of uh, of music videos um for the most part yeah there's some there's exceptions a, you know, but yeah in which that and that kind of goes into some of what we'll talk about too the like few who have been sort of canonized as like the auteurs of of music videos and have gotten sort of dedicated releases um but yeah you know like we are going to be talking about hype williams on the next episode but a lot of hype williams best videos like some of his collaborations with buster rhymes and um the like uh, version of the California love video that has Tupac uh, has Mad Max. Um, they were not available in a sort of like official version. Um, it was just like shitty bootlegs, you know, people had taped off television or whatever. Um, and some of that's changed recently. Uh, but I think it's still a long way to go. It's still a very kind of fragile medium. I mean, just because, a lot like cinema itself a lot of it was initially thought of as like very disposable shot cheaply without very much thought just for like promotional advertising purposes um and then over time it's like oh wait actually maybe we can do something interesting with this artistically or we can pump money into it and really use it to like sell this artist or whatever you know there's a variety of ways that videos get used and as they become bigger and bigger um but yeah, I don't know, you know, I, I've, I have a lot of love in my heart for music videos and I feel like they have been very just sort of crucial to shaping my like taste in music over my life and um, just sort of I think my sort of conception of cinema a little bit because I feel like I sometimes sort of like you know, music videos are often heavy on sort of abstract out of context images and a lot of times I'm sort of just interested in visual flair and flourish in movies so I can be kind of drawn to that sort of MTV aesthetic or whatever um, but, you know, I just remember, you know, as a child of basic cable, like growing up watching country music videos on GAC. And then when I was a little bit older, like when my parents were out of the house, like sneaking, sneakily watching like VH1 and stuff and sort of absorbing um, some pop music that I wasn't allowed to listen to really like that way. And and then later on, like in life, like I, I don't know, when I was like a teen and in college and stuff, I was like really and I still am. But I was like really into 80s pop and. Um, I was like a big fan of the pop culture critic Chuck Klosterman, whose big thing is just kind of like embracing like so-called low culture. And so he writes a lot about like 80s music and hair metal and stuff, music videos and stuff like that. So I would spend like hours on YouTube just like watching videos for just like 80s one hit wonders and pop hits and like watching VH1 classic and stuff and just kind of absorbed a lot of weird random knowledge. Um, but it's just, yeah, I don't know. So just like I was trying to. Well, if I could, if I could piggyback off of that, Nathan, like uh, you've mentioned a lot of uh, TV channels um, in your like story of your journey with music videos. And that's, I guess, one of the reasons why the relationship between music videos and film is so um, tenuous, uh, because it, it's like television programming. Right. And a lot of television programming doesn't get 
archived forever. Um, um, but we are, you've kind of uh, curated this list of like the historical music videos or, or a timeline from the early 80s to the mid 2000s, starting with MTV. Like we're starting with the first video that, that played on MTV, uh, which is like, you know, crucially important for the form. But um, is there anything you can say about like pre MTV music videos? Like I know there's some debate about what the first music video is or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I think like you said, you know, obviously TV is is in cable specifically. It's really, really important to the development of the music video because just like before then, there wasn't really a venue for this kind of like short form programming it's just like where do you put that like i don't know do you play it in front of a movie do you like buy a block of airtime on a network station or whatever i don't know like and so there is a long history of like sort of promo videos and stuff and i mean you have a lot of artists well i think it takes various forms you know you had artists in the 60s um, 50s and 60s, you know, like the Beatles and, and Elvis, you know, in their own feature films and stuff. But like the Beatles specifically, you know, had kind of like different promo videos, the Rolling Stones as well. Um, I think the Rolling Stones are super fascinating to kind of the development of the music video because they collaborated in different ways with a lot of different filmmakers. Like, I mean, you know, they made a movie with Godard. They made a movie with Kenneth Anger. Um, they made documentaries with D.A. Pennebaker and the Maisels. Um, so they were sort of exploring different ways of, like, expressing themselves visually beyond just, like, creating an advertising commercial for an album. Um, and in the 70s, like, that's kind of still, I think, what it is for the most part early on in this sort of promo videos. You actually have a lot of, like, country videos early on, like Glenn Campbell and people like that, um, where it's just sort of, like, very simple, like, you know, somebody walking down a road or sitting on a horse singing a song. Um, but it's sort of, you know, an early kind of music video and not very... Very different from a lot of later country music videos even um, but I think really where it starts to um, but pre kind of MTV there was like a lot of development and experimentation um, you had in 1979 this short film called Tom Waits for No One that was like rotoscoped animation of Tom Waits singing that won a, an Oscar um, uh, for best short and then also, like, I think a lot of, like, early punk, actually, um, like the Sex Pistols um, were making videos with Julian Temple, um, who I had his video for Smooth Operator by Sade on our syllabus. Um, and he was just sort of like making kind of concert footage and, and sort of performance videos, but was starting to cut in, like, you know, different kinds of, like, found footage or starts to kind of, like just add a little bit more of a, like an aesthetic flair to it. So it's something beyond just like a live performance. Um, but as you, you know, as you said, it's really not until cable that, and until MTV specifically that there is like a place to, for this content to kind it's of an exist. Institution. Yeah. And it's like, at first, you know, they didn't really have enough videos to fill up a whole day. Um, and you know playing the same few videos same like 20 videos over and over again and then slowly this whole entire industry builds around it you know first it's just kind of people throwing things at the wall and and not spending very much money a lot of the time just shooting things in studios on videotape and then it starts to just become this 
you know, enormous like subset of the music industry, just a multi-million dollar, you know, phenomenon, I guess. Um, well, that's, and that's, and that's a perfect, that's a perfect transition into the beginning of, of the list of uh, videos that we got. So let's go ahead. We got a bunch, so let's jump into it. Um, yeah, I guess the, the, you know, maybe I'll just say, because I feel like, you know, we, some of these like actually kind of connect better, not necessarily like, you know, one by one, I feel like, but there were sort of like four in blocks, order. I yeah. guess that I had sort of like, I had sort of broken them up into of like kind of why I chose these. Um, And there's like overlap between them, you know, like some of them have kind of the same reasons, but I chose some videos because they were like important milestones or represent some kind of like important shift in the industry. Um, There are some I chose just because I like really like the formal techniques they use and felt like they were kind of innovative and and like animation techniques or whatever. Um, There are others because I chose because they're like, by musical artists where I feel like the video work is really central to the whole body of work of those artists. And they really sort of capitalized on just the possibilities of music videos. And that became as central to their work as like actual songs. Um, and then there are other ones I chose because they're like by the like real like directors, the like music video artists that sort of people are like, these are like the people who really made a mark and had a voice Uh, distinctly as music video directors. And some of those people transitioned to feature filmmaking very successfully. Some of them didn't. Um, But that's basically kind of like splitting it up into four groups. But um, yeah, we can, we can just start going through it basically. Um, You know, the first one is video killed the radio star, the bugles. Surely that was planned, right? Like, yeah, we're going to start this new channel called MTV. That's all about showing music videos. And we're going to have the very first video that plays be like basically a, a middle finger slash elegy for the way that people used to consume music. (laughs) And, And it's like, it's set in this weird, like cartoony future where, you know, the videos have already supplanted um, audio as as the form of consumption, uh, which is interesting. Like as it's a very it's like a flex. Like we know we're going to change the world. Um. Yeah. And I think this one, I don't know, like a lot of early videos like this kind of have a very like retro futuristic sort of aesthetic, like bringing in like 50s, 60s, kind of like Cold War TV, you know, the beginnings of like TV itself sort of creating this analogy between those two things. Well, you think also if you, if you go back kind of, you know, to early, you know, the early films also, they also kind of like go into that, uh, kind of almost hyper futuristic aesthetic. I mean, some, some, I was thinking about like a lot of Melius shorts while watching some of these, especially like, like ashes to ashes and, um, me too, you know, things of that nature, even, and then you have something like, uh, like the Rob zombie one we'll talk about, which is directly, you know, cabinet of Dr. Caligari, but you know, those, those early shorts, especially like something like Melia's, like there is, they always put them in like these fantastical worlds because they're, they're kind of wanting to play around. Like they have the ability to get into these dreamscapes. So like, might as well like go, you know, go full a hundred percent into it. And I like with uh, with a lot of these videos that they do exactly the same thing as uh, as yeah because I mean look at like look at this now and uh, the budgets aren't huge either right so like they're having to kind of make do with what they have 
Um, Very qu- quickly, actually, it, it actually escalates. Um, the second video in our list, David Bowie's Ashes to Ashes, is still one of the most expensive music videos ever made. Um, it was the first music video to cost more than $500,000, which now is like, for infl- adjusted for inflation, is a little under $2 million. So it's still in like the top 50s, I think, when it comes to video budgets. Um, but you can definitely tell that it's like by today's standards using somewhat kind of like rudimentary technology you have all this like fascinating sort of like color uh you know like correction and saturation and yeah no it is totally but well it seems like it's doing that on purpose right like we're currently looking at a yeah we're currently looking at just a normal shot of like you know david bowie on a set but a lot of times in this music video we're looking at things that uh footage that is like purposely degraded um, and like bleached with this like really deep pink hue um, to like make it. Like, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I think that like the Bugles one is, you know, an example of like sort of that just like kind of low budget and very studio bound. And I think that it's sort of like points at the kind of two tendencies of music videos, really, where you have ones where it's like rooted in sort of like capturing live performance um, and then you have the other strand, which is like really playing on like the possibilities of, of montage and artifice and editing and, and, and using the studio space, which is kind of like the history of music. You know, you have artists where, you know, it's really important that they kind of like do things a traditional sort of way. They have their classical chops. And then you had sort of like, I don't know, like in the sixties when like the Beatles decided to stop touring and we're like, we're just going to make weird synthesizer noises. You can't replicate on stage. I feel like there's sort of a trajectory of like, that's kind of the two roads of, of music videos. And that's also true of like musicals, you know, you have like Fred Astaire where it's like, we're really showing you the dancing that he's doing like, wow, look at his feet. And then you have like, you know, the Broadway melody sequence of singing in the rain where it's total fantasy. Yeah. I also like, cause this, this, you know, go, uh, again, just sticking with the whole, this, it reminds you of like early movies. It, it, I like also that it's kind of like taking an art form that's already established, you know, like, TV or like movies and kind of plastering its own thing. Like, like the music video becomes its, you know, its own thing, but kind of plasters that on top of stuff that you're familiar with from previous uh, mediums. So like, well, speaking of that, I mean, we should just jump to the next one, the Todd Rundgren video, which like the David Bowie video has this um, weird, kind of low budget surreal well i again the david bowie video is not low budget well just like kind of green screen you know but just like early green screen basically like blue screen but yeah um the david bowie video and this todd rundgren video have kind of this bleary uh like low res surrealism to them and todd rundgren is like leaning really hard into that in that like all of his all of the shots in the video are um you know these composite images of him singing in front of like famous surrealist paintings by Salvador Dali and Rene Magritte and probably some other people who I don't recognize as well. And like, it doesn't personally, it it doesn't uh, speak to me as a music video. Like I I don't really like it. Um, But I see the, like the artistic idea there. Like he's, he's doing a thing. Well, the thing I was thinking about while watching this is that, is that you have like you know you have these these paintings and paintings are specifically stagnant pieces like forms of art and he like is like playing with that form where he's like you have this stagnant art form 
and I'm kind of like fucking with it. Like, it, like right, we have we have music that has no images. We have paintings that's a static image. And how do we? What kind of images can we put with music that would make sense? Well, we could take these images that people already know and like to look at as static images, and we can make them move. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I and I, I also chose. You know, this was also one of the first. This was like the eighth video to play on MTV or something. Time heals, um, and I'm just like a Todd Rundgren nut. He's just an endlessly fascinating dude to me. And I've kind of one of the reasons why I chose this was also because I feel like him and and David Bowie and some of these other artists are people who just like in addition to videos, they just throughout their work at various points were really enthusiastic about like embracing new technology or embracing new innovation and sound like you know right 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 you know embracing the synthesizer in the 70s and then embracing dance music in the 90s or hip-hop and i feel like this is just sort of an extension of that where where it's like videos are sort of like a musical technology and it's just sort of like another kind of way of expressing yourself and so to these artists who are willing to try like any instrument or any sound they're like yeah let's just fuck around with like the blue screen and see what happens um but the so to yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say the next video, I feel like, uh, which is by my boy Julian Temple, I feel like starts to level things up in terms of like production design and mise en scene. Like you see a very just sort of like more expensive and uh, more deliberate, I think, kind of like style emerge. Um, well, I was going to say that, you know, this the next music video, Smooth Operator by Sade, is a really good counterpoint to this Todd Rundgren video in that, you know, these first couple we've looked at have been pretty abstract, uh, which is a, a mode that music videos tend to work in because music is often abstract. The lyrics don't necessarily tell a story. And so what kind of visuals do you put with it uh, if you don't have like a story to represent on screen? You, you kind of create visuals that meet the mood uh, which you know may may not necessarily lend themselves to a narrative but um smooth operator we we start to see like the emergence of narrative in music video and it's not a super clear narrative it's a bit of a vague one but you kind of get these genre tropes of noir and and crime films and and Sade is like playing playing a character in this plot that these various uh uh, people have have found themselves in even if we the the viewer can't quite make out what it is I was just gonna say I think it starts to point towards what you see with a lot of videos where it's like doing parodies of like or or if not like this isn't really like a parody but it is kind of a send up or playing around with like cinematic genre tropes um, it's an homage yeah, yeah it's a sort of pastiche of, of cinematic genres and styles and that's just like so much of the history of music videos um, and also Julian Temple I think was like very much kind of like a little bit a part of just a lot of the innovations that were happening in, in music around the time and kind of sort of adjacent to like new queer cinema and stuff and I think you really sort of start to see that like like high art almost sort of aesthetic kind of filter into um, videos around the time where just things are like ornate and very designed. Yeah, the cinematography of this video is is definitely on a different level than what we saw in the first couple. I'll also say... Go ahead, Zach. Sorry. No, I was, I was going to say, and this is something that I think will come up uh, over and over again throughout this this um, throughout this this episode is that a lot of these music videos become kind of like a, it, it, and I think this is it's much more um, 
it's it's much more widely seen like today but like there's kind of a stacking of culture that is happening here like you have this engagement with music you have this engagement with art you have this engagement with film and like uh, and then you have this engagement with pop culture and so like these are all kind of like stacked on top of each other all in this one thing and like the music video is working as like this conduit and like you as the audience are kind of engaging with it because these are all like symbols and figures that you're familiar with you know we'll talk about um something like uh rock star at the end the nickelback video where you see people you know you see notable you know you see kid rock you see ted nugent you see um playboy bunnies like you see like known figures um same with like brad paisley's celebrity that it's kind of like this like these these work as like these conduits of like stacked culture that it, it um i think it would have been interesting to hear marshall McLuhan talk about this <laughs> <laughs> and i mean i think it's so though it's so indicative of like it's i feels like kind of a chicken and egg thing with cable where it's like is so much of that sort of interfacing with technology because music videos have been so distributed by by cable and now via the internet um you know if they had existed more in like i don't know a different time would would they have a different form but i feel like it very much often music video style is often a little bit like channel surfing you know just sort of pulling all of these images and and tropes together into some kind of like package that is not really narratively coherent but makes some kind of emotional or visual sense and catches your attention well let's jump to the oh go ahead sorry well i just wanted to say real quick you know as we're talking more about like the emergence of video directors um julian temple who did this one and russell mulcahy who did video killed the radio star were among the first directors to kind of make the jump to feature filmmaking and julian temple made this movie absolute beginners with david bowie and actually Sade is in it but it is was this like big flop and he sort of considered like the man who bankrupted the English film industry and he made some movies in America which are very fascinating but were not very successful um, so he's sort of somebody who really made his mark like in videos distinctly Mulcahy on the other hand has been a sturdy dependable genre journeyman for years he made Highlander, Resident Evil Extinction, the underrated Denzel Washington cop movie Ricochet um but it just kind of shows also two paths, I think, of videos. You have the fine artists and then you have the like craftsmen, the commercial directors, just the real workhorses who are just kind of churning stuff out. And some of those people become, you know, feature filmmakers. You're Michael Bay's, Zack Snyder's, David Fincher's. And some of them just they keep making short things for the rest of their lives. <laughs> well, uh, now on screen, people can see the next video in this lineup, uh, which is Take On Me by AHA, uh, a video that people have probably seen before. I watched it in school, actually. Um, and I understand why this video is a classic. Like the first three in this lineup um, feel kind of like bleeding edge, like early experiments in music videos. And this feels like a full like triumph of what the music video format can be. Um, so many music videos that are in this lineup um, end up kind of experimenting with animation in various ways in the same way that avant-garde cinema often uh, plays with animation. Um, and it, it's jumping back and forth between um, like 
line like line drawing on paper animation and live action video and and merging them in ways that is kind of beyond what a lot of feature films were doing at the time think about something like who framed roger rabbit um i think this is more impressive looking uh and more ambitious uh than something like that maybe it's because it's on a smaller scale that they can do that but God, it's just incredible to look at. No, that's what I was going to say. I was like, it's it might sound basic because this one is, I think, out of the ones that we talk about, one of the more well-knowns because, you know, you see it pop up just as a reference all, all the time on different things. But I, I don't think I've ever sat and just watched the whole thing. And so for watching it for this series, it's so good. It's so, it's so good. So great. And like it has all these crazy camera moves and stuff in it. Like we're in an animated space, but somehow we're still like swinging the camera from left to right. And um, I don't know how much this is like rotoscoped or what. It's such a level up too. I think in terms of just like storytelling, because there's a real actual like coherence to the entire narrative of the video, even kind of like, a, you know, apart from the song, which is just the fascinating like tension of videos. You have the sort of song narrative and then you have the video narrative. And a lot of times they're the same thing like uh, Garth Brooks the thunder rolls um, which is on a syllabus is kind of like directly basically what the song is about and take on me is is kind we of have two different distinct, narratives happening yeah but I think also you have so many you know Zach you were talking about that sort of like interfacing with like multiple cultural forms and this video along with some of the other ones especially from the 80s I feel like like dire straits money for nothing um, Prince's raspberry beret slave to the rhythm by Grace Jones sledgehammer by Peter Gabriel. Most of the next ones that are like on this list are kind of combining multiple forms of animation, live action and animation. Um, and it's just like the fluidity of a lot of that work is really astounding to me. Um, there is some like very clunky stuff from this time, you know, like, you know, but that's also very fascinating to me. Like there's a video that I wanted to include, but didn't um, by Mick Jagger called hard woman off of his Nile Rogers produced solo album, which is like one was one of the most expensive videos at the time because it had this, like it has him like dancing with like a CGI woman. Um, so you just have like, I don't know a lot of very, like it's like a lot of early Pixar looking stuff. Like that's kind of what money for nothing looks like is like uh those like early pixar experiments um well do we want to jump to money for nothing or we want to talk about billy jean we included a michael jackson on here just because um like there's historical import of like the way in which his music videos kind of flirted with feature films and also billy jean was the the first video by a black artist to get played on mtv like four or five years into the process of that channel yeah. And it and also, you know, I like I it was kind of it was kind of interesting to watch this. I have not I have not listened or or watched anything Michael Jackson related since the Finding Neverland documentary came out because, you know, yeah. 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 Um understandable. It, but it, it, this kind this kind of show this reminds you like I mean, he's a very complicated figure, but Michael Jackson was very much like a star, you know, like like just watching this and like the way he kind of carries himself around um, Billy Jean, even more than, you know, I know, Nathan, you were talking about like maybe doing Thriller, but I think you're, you know, you were correct in, in picking this one because there's something very like. Um, there's like this gravitas to his presence. It feels very much like that, you know, those those movie roles where the, the person comes out and you're like, yeah, this person's a movie star like that kind of feels like this for Michael Jackson and Billie Jean. Like, like what we're watching right now on the stream while he's walking down the street and the things are lighting up like. Yeah, oh my and God. I mean, it is very much like that sort of like 
like I was saying earlier, like Fred Astaire kind of capturing the performance of his dancing. And it feels very much like just aesthetically, formally, technically, like very much a video, whereas Thriller, you know, by John Landis, which everybody knows, and is, uh, you know, the first of his like more extended music videos, like um, Bad by Martin Scorsese. Um, you know, that's like a big budget movie, uh, basically. And this still feels like a little... Where they stop the music at various points to present a yeah. cinematic narrative yeah. whereas this is all filtered through the music um today i did learn though that he does not actually do the moonwalk in the the billy jean video the whole video feels like it's building up to that and then he just doesn't do it because apparently it's just from a live performance uh of billy jean but um yeah i mean yeah a really significant moment i think in music of videos just like um Michael Jackson, you know, being the first black artist played on MTV and then paving the way for so many decades of pioneering, you know, black artists making music, great music video work. And, and, um, yeah, so, and, and, you know, uh, setting the stage eventually for like, you know, BET, which really, then that's the thing also too, is like, as the eighties goes on and you have more cable channels, MTV, VH1, BET, CMT for country, and then eventually GAC, you have like, you know, a greater diversification of like subgenres that maybe don't get played on the, the most mainstream channel, but are able to find an audience. Um, but Money for Nothing, which is like one of my favorite videos for, of all time and problematic lyric aside, I just fucking love this song. Um, but it's like I just the animation is amazing. And I also love the weird owl parody of it in the movie UHF, where it's the Beverly Hills, uh, the Beverly Hillbillies theme song. Um but this is, you know, a song about MTV and MTV culture, which, as we'll see in some of the later 2000s videos, a lot of music videos, or at least some of the ones I singled out, are like these like cultural musical like parodies and satires trying to take down the very memes. Yeah, it, it becomes it becomes self-reflexive so quickly. Like we're only six years in and already like people playing guitar on MTV is a cliche um, in this song. Uh, and, and like they, they kind of do that with the form too, where it, it's jumping back and forth between this like really early Pixar looking blocky CGI graphics and, uh, you know, live action video of the band playing. But it's interesting how the band is like seen as more real uh, than the people who are kind of like working the, this like high labor intensive, like blue collar job. Um, like they're they're the the point being made here is they're kind of like looking at this in this window to this other life that they don't have that seems somehow like more real or satisfying than their own. Um, so there's kind of like a level of irony there in that like this critique of music videos is being presented as a music video on this channel that is being explicitly name dropped. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have the same kind of thing with like um, Touched by the Hand of God by New Order, which I put on this list, which is directed by a pre-point break Catherine Bigelow and is basically New Order doing a parody of like Motley Crue and hair metal videos. Um, but again, the same thing, like, you know, it's still distributed by kind of the same format and like institutions and stuff and um and you know brad paisley's celebrity nickelback's rock star um, yeah very similar bowling for soups 1985 you know the songs i kind of have at the end of this list are still the same thing it's like these big rock stars big celebrities like doing these like tongue-in-cheek satires through videos about the very culture they're a part of um, well is there is there something that you would like to but again i was gonna say is there something that you'd like to jump to because uh you know 
We have a lot of these. <laughs> we have a lot of these. So is there? Yeah. Is there? Uh, I would there say like the next three. I don't really have much to say about. Um, there's Raspberry Beret by Prince. There's Slave to the Rhythm by Grace Jones, and there's Hounds of Love by Kate Bush, which are all. Um, kind of like interesting scenarios they they lay out um interesting like visuals but yeah well i would i would just i would like to just put slave to the rhythm on on the on the stream for a while because damn is this a, an evocative yeah <laughs> video. and this one also too shows like the potential for like found footage and repurposed footage for music videos because it cuts in actually like commercials uh, just from around the world but also you know like grace jones kate bush prince um madonna uh a few other artists on this list these are artists with like star personas yeah these are artists where i think they really fully like saw video as an extremely like valid extension of their musical work and they really were like performing physically i mean grace jones you see you know just like she has always sort of emphasized just like her the angular kind of structure of her body and and sort of emphasize this like i mean it's it's there's a reason why she was cast opposite arnold schwarzenegger and conan the destroyer because she is sort of like doing that kind of like hard body almost like inhuman sort of thing um but obviously with this kind of fascinating racial sort of sexual sort of uh kind of dominating thing that is just like very you know at odds with with mainstream culture um and I think also I was thinking of this with like Fiona Apple's criminal where it's like a video like that. I was thinking like, you know, if Fiona Apple came out like in the seventies, she probably would have been just like a Carol King type, but because of a video like criminal where she was really able to perform, it took her to another level of sort of I- iconicness and, and celebrity, I think. Um, and which I think is the case and for a lot we're of talking these. About, um, artists who are able to kind of, um, solidify an identity for themselves visually in addition to you know through audio i mean we have kate bush directing herself um in the hounds of love video um as as kind of like just showing how far that goes like in terms of autourism right like she is cultivating an image there and the prince video uh, raspberry beret is is also prince directing mostly with animation by drew takahashi um which again is that's such a tendency i think of like self you know artists eventually really becoming auteurs um but I think what kind of changes in the 90s is it becomes a much bigger budget form, but also people now really take it seriously as art. So in the 90s, you have the sort of like canonical, I think, sort of like video auteurs um, like Spike Jones, um, who's sabotaged by the Beastie Boys is on here. Mark Romanek, who did Criminal. Um, Chris Cunningham, who did Bjork's All is Full of Love, Michelle Gondry's uh, White Stripes Fell in Love with a Girl, um, and, and David Fincher, you know, we have Vogue on screen right now, which Vogue, interestingly enough, was produced for an album that was like a tie-in with Dick Tracy. I was thinking while watching Vogue that the, I was thinking while watching Vogue that this is better than Make. David Fincher. I heard people talk about Vogue as soon as Mank came out. Yeah. yeah. Way better than Mank. And like he Well, I mean it has a Mank vibe. The contrast is kind of similar. Yeah, I mean he seems to capture that old Hollywood black and white gleam uh so much better here uh, than he does in Mank. 
Um, it was more just the thought that like why like why did Mank feel so? Because Mank, the my issue with Mank thinking back on it is that it just feel for something that's supposed to feel like it's like period centric. It feels so yeah, digitally made. I think so. And now and you like have... there's something that feels so like of the era with with uh, with Vogue. I mean, you have um, I, I'm gonna probably come up in a little bit the shot of of Madonna that's the Marlena Dietrich shot, and it's just so well repurposed. And they name drop Marlena Dietrich too in in a list of like a lot of Hollywood icons as well. So there's the music video here kind of existing within a lineage of like ways in which stars represented themselves as like these large and life figures on screen. You know the, the 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 culture. You know that's that culture again. Like it's it's you know going back to these 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 stars. You know the, you know she mentions Grace Kelly, Cary Grant. These people like it's just kind of again like pop culture re you know reinforcing itself. Oh, I mean, I was gonna switch gears to see if anybody had anything to say about Sledgehammer, which we we kind of passed over, but was one of the ones that I was most wowed by um, in this lineup. Um, like I knew that take on me was an amazing video because i'd seen it a long time ago but i had never even heard the song sledgehammer before and it just that video blew my mind um you gotta have a genesis phase my dude i I never did yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know this is like a stan brackage yeah i mean it starts with like stan brackage or like a jean palaviv thing we did uh liquid crystals by jean palaviv um as well as Black Ice by Stan Brackage in the avant-garde series a couple years ago. And I was just reminded of so many of those like psychedelic uh, shorts uh, while watching this. Um, and I already wrote this month on Letterboxd, so apologies for repeating myself. But um, I, I thought of this quote from David Byrne, um, who said that singing is just a trick to make people pay attention to music for longer than they would otherwise. Um, and I think that you could make the argument that that music videos uh, do a very similar thing with like non-narrative cinema. Like they get people to look at interesting and innovative images um, that are not tethered to any sort of narrative arc. Uh, the, they allow these visual artists to kind of play around um, because there's like this structure of a song you can that hang everything on. Um, and like, just the 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 sense of play in this video is is out of this world um and and the amount of work (laughs) that must have gone into it to create the sense of play as well well he definitely had the a-team since he had ardman and the quay brothers (laughs) yeah 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 i think that um kind of going off what you were saying and going off what you were saying andrew um Oh, you know, it's just, you know, it's a few minutes. And so you can do a lot that you couldn't do at feature length. And um, I think because of that, it's sort of also that a lot gets into this other tendency that I, uh, some of the videos I chose, I think, sort of express, which is like ways that these short works can really play with like gaze and perspective. Um, like Sinead O'Connor's Nothing Compares to You, which is not fully like a, a really extreme close up, but is largely this really extreme close up of her just like very emotionally, intimately performing. And she is, you know, just a very like. Con- I mean, it's basically the opposite of the Sledgehammer video right where like in sledgehammer we're throwing all the things we can at the screen and nothing compares to you it's like let's strip everything back and just give you this 
very intimate, vulnerable uh, image of this artist kind of like reaching down deep <laughs> to, to like belt out this very emotional song. Um, and it, I mean, it speaks to like the visual medium's uh, ability to like really help you emote with um, with uh, an artist on screen. Yeah. I mean, I think that this video also makes like a perfect double feature with D'Angelo's Untitled How Does It Feel um, from 2000, which was a super controversial video um, because it basically, it's just, you know, D'Angelo naked, you know, just filmed from the top up, but very, very objectified, ostensibly um, getting a blowjob. Very suggestive. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's very uh, Andy Warhol's. Yes. I was wondering if I was meant to read yeah, that. It's very into Andy it. Warhol's blowjob vibes, and and it had when that video came out, it had this huge mixed reception where like, you know, women and people who aren't straight men were like very into that video, and you know, were like, wow, you know, he's really trying to like show himself off to to. Uh, to women, you know, in a way that like a lot of male artists wouldn't do. Um, but men were like very polarized on it and, and, you know, were like, Oh, turn off this gay shit, you know, like stuff like that. Um, just even though he's like being pleasured, I think just like a man, you know, showing himself experience pleasure, like he does in this video, you know, like touching his nipple, sweating, just like all of this stuff is just, um, you know, kind of just like shows the way that videos can be or really not just like experiencing pleasure, but a man like being beautiful yeah. on and, screen. And, and so it shows the videos because of its like short kind of form and because also it's largely on cable television and now the Internet where there's not as much censorship. They can, you know, get to these sort of transgressive places. But it also this video had a huge kind of detrimental impact on his career, ultimately, because he was like not. He, he, like, got in this shape, like, right before the video. He had never been fit like this before and super objectified. People would, like, scream at him to take his clothes off at shows. You know, they just knew him as, like, the naked guy. And so that's why he sort of, like, went into hiding and became, like, really reclusive for a long time and, like, gained a bunch of weight, had a huge drinking problem just because of, like, how he showed himself in this video. So it's, like, an amazing work of art and so vulnerable, but had a like very sad impact. And so I think it just shows that another way that like videos can really play into like the star persona of a musician. Well, it's, it's also a pretty, you know, it's a pretty political move as well, just because, I mean, it's a, it's a black male body doing this. It's not, you know, it's not Andy Warhol or, or some, you know, it, I mean, this, it, it, there's something kind of, um, incredibly, uh, you know, really going out on the limb by, by doing that because it, out of anything, it's a black male performing this, which I think makes it even more controversial in the eyes of, of, you know, American viewers. Yeah, definitely. Um, um, but I think kind of a similar video on this vibe, even though it's different, um, was another super controversial video, uh, for a super controversial song, smack my bitch up by the prodigy, which is not on YouTube, uh, directed by Jonas Ackerland, who, who would go on to do the black metal movie, Lords of chaos. Um, but that video is basically like what Gaspar Noé stole his whole shit from uh, because it's just like first person perspective. Or certainly with Enter the Void. Of yeah. this person 
waking up, going throughout their day, doing terrible things um, like just, you know, taking drugs, beating women up, uh, you know, assaulting, you know, sexually assaulting women, uh, just causing all kinds of trouble. And then there is this like, <laughs> like Samus taking off the helmet in Metroid or some shit. This like reveal at the end <laughs> where it turns out this person who you've, you've kind of been assuming just based on the aggressiveness of their behavior is male. You find out actually it's this this hot lady uh, is who you've been embodied as the whole time. And, and you look at yourself in the mirror as a nude, white, blonde woman. Um, and it's just like very I don't know. It's it. Uh, first person movies don't really work, but in three minutes, it's pretty compelling. This really does work. Like, not only does it does it work better than Enter the Void or Hardcore Henry or something like that, uh, but I think it's also better made than those movies too. Like, this has just crazy moves <laughs> compared to some of those movies. I mean, Hardcore Henry really like tries to tries to 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 um I don't know, really go for it with like some of the stunt work and stuff like that. But in terms of the camera work and in terms of the inner the raw energy on display here, um it it just seems like leaps and bounds ahead of the things that uh, ins- it inspired uh, later on. No, I was just going I was just going to say it was funny cuz Andrew talked about uh not realizing that this was not safe for work while watching this at work. And I just like that this thing's blasting with the, what is it? Most con- uh, controversial tag that's just like sitting on it the entire time. And then, it, and like, you just grab and like, Oh, wow. <laughs> I just thought it was because of the lyric, you know, it was pulled from rotation on MTV after a lot of complaints. Um, allegedly they said it complaints from like feminist groups and stuff. How did this I, ever was play in, on MTV? Did they did they censor it? I think there was a, a somewhat censored version, and I believe that like this was airing in this most controversial videos ever on MTV Two was like the first time it had played unedited in a long time. Um, but I think it was unedited at some point. Um, yeah, um, another just controversial kind of wild video I wanted to mention that's only on this like janky Russian streaming site because Garth Brooks doesn't have any of his stuff on streaming. But this video was also pulled from rotation. Uh, Garth Brooks, The Thunder Rolls, um, which ta- was banned from CMT, but was yeah, the I was first curious about the story behind it was this. the YouTube first video, video to us. air on GAC, you know, they're competitor and um it's a song and video about a woman who's abused by her husband taking revenge taking violent revenge and action against him and the abusive husband is played by none other than garth brooks himself um in in kind of a weird meta casting of of some sort um and i don't know it just felt like very much sort of just like a kind of just like sort of hokey cinematic narrative that's sometimes communicated in in videos um and it has all these like edits that are just really timed to the song with like lightning flashing and like garth brooks singing in the rain and i mostly really just wanted to sort of showcase a like country video but i just thought this was pretty interesting just because both of like garth brooks you know is pretty streaming resistant and so that's part of why this isn't available but also that it was just like 
very controversial within, you know, the conservative country music industry, but it was supported by a lot of like, you know, Garth Brooks allegedly got a lot of like letters of support from women, you know, who had been victims of abuse, sort of thanking him for the song, thanking him for the video saying, you know, like we want it back in rotation. Radio stations also boycotted the song. Um, so again, I think it speaks to that like controversial sort of productive, productively controversial potential of videos because they're not really beholden to the same kind of regulations or censorship that like network TV or feature films are. And to circle back around to the question of like, to what extent are music videos indebted to the idea of narrative? I think this is the only music video that has like a very clear, like this is a story, like we're just like compressing this into a mini movie. And also that story is mirrored perfectly in the story of the lyrics, which is something that's much more common, I would say, in country music uh, than it is in the genres we've looked at so far. Um, so it it kind of makes sense as a choice uh, for a song like this, as opposed to kind of the, the more uh, impressionistic uh, avant-garde uh, vibes of, of some of the earlier videos we've talked about. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the only other country video that we that I put on here was was Brad Paisley's Celebrity, which is a video that I remember waiting for that to come on GAC as a kid because I thought it was so funny. And um, but that's just like very interesting because it shows this like this the celebrity cameo like driven kind of subgenre of videos and also shows how once you get into the 2000s, like there's a real kind of turn to like virality and sort of like meme potential um like the first video well right i think one of of the first videos i remember watching on the internet was michelle gondry's video for fell in love with a girl which is like lego stop motion animation and i put on this list um but you you can tell that with something like brick film by the way yes yeah (laughs) and it was like on the website for that (laughs) okay me too Um, that's why i saw it (laughs) yeah um and then you have like Nickelback's Rockstar, which is all these just like 2000s minor celebrities like the American Chopper guys and Big and Rich. You know, it's also just. Well, I mean, you say that um, it is a lot of minor celebrities, but also the the whole shtick in Rockstar is that it's mostly normal people who will never be rock stars. You know, it's it's kind of a uh, flesh uh, fleshed out version of the, the Money for Nothing music video where like the common man is abstracted into this like. Uh, blocky CGI nightmare and here we're like actually looking into the faces of the people who are kind of locked out of this lifestyle which is interesting it's it's a little bit of a predecessor to uh, the Charlie XCX forever video you talked about you know kind of a crowdsourced fan driven Well, it's well, it's also a predecessor, and I wanted to bring this up before we we close out. But I mean, I think the one thing that we have to cons- talk about with with music videos that have become more prevalent is is TikTok, which has been you know added in the past few mm, years. Yeah. Which TikTok oh, is yeah. pretty predicated on you have the music or the scene or what have you, and it's people like lip syncing to it, which to a degree is what a music video is. I mean, they're lip syncing to it and they're performing, um, and and the fact that you kind of have where anybody literally anybody could be putting on their you know their own music video i mean now you have people like addison ray and uh charlie d'amelio and and other people who are like known quantities because of the way that they 
perform these songs, these popular songs. And there's people who their songs are getting popularity and they're like rising through the the charts because of how popular they are on TikTok. And so I feel like kind of ta- going back to like what you said about MTV and like the way that it was capturing a form, it seems like, you know, music videos kind of died off. You know, that that's the whole joke with like MTV nowadays is that, you know, MTV kind of stinks and needs to go back to like the, you know, the what it was originally. And I feel like t- TikTok's almost captured that in like this almost democratic way to a degree that it's it's kind of it's kind of fine now but who knows what it'll look like in a couple years if it's still surviving well i think you know thinking of like recent music videos you know something like uh call me by your name by Lil nas x which works as like a full video piece but is also kind of engineered to be gift a little bit and split up into clips and just sort of shared in moments um but i think also too you know it's like i I do a lot of writing about music so i get a lot of like pr emails for music and i get like official tiktok music pr emails about like music trends on tiktok from the platform itself um and so there's a lot of money being pumped into it and a lot of like, you know, I write a lot about rap music specifically, and there's a lot of rap music I listen to now. Um, some of it, you know, by people who are like TikTokers who are trying to like get into music and stuff, but even not like you can tell just listening to it, something about it that it's designed for that platform. It's designed to be split up into little clips. There's kind of a novelty sort of sample or something that catches your attention, or there's a dance that goes along with it. Um, and I guess with that, Um, And so, yeah, and I think that's kind of just the trend over the last two decades, like with YouTube and stuff is just sort of like you have a lot more potential for like interaction, I think, between artists and fans in terms of what videos. Yeah. And there's like obviously plenty of other notable music videos that we could have included from like the late 2000s or the 2010s. But I like that we kind of cut it off here in the early 2000s, which seems to be the moment where music videos as an institution kind of change, you know, like MTV is no longer the place people are accessing music videos. It's places like uh, YouTube and now TikTok. Um, and it's just not, it. they're, they're presented more as like little, um, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, in and of themselves, short films than programming on, on like a, a cable channel. Right. Um, and, yeah, I mean it, it's just a it's a very it's a very different landscape for music videos now. And and I also like how there's kind of a you know Nathan I like the curation here. There's there's sort of a book ending uh, of of the videos on the syllabus um, where you know our very first video is kind of like the music video form announcing itself and then very quickly into that you you see it kind of cycle back around to like reflecting upon itself and then we end with these three videos celebrity 1985 and rockstar that all are kind of like um i don't know um not lamenting um but uh, almost eulogizing a way of of doing music or doing music videos that is kind of going out the door as those as those music videos are coming out um so it's just kind of an interesting like moment in history or like this window of like film and music history um that it it feels so closed off uh to everything before and after i think it's like 
I don't know, you know, <laughs> a kind of random selection that I had on here that's that's a sort of deeper cut um, is Ghetto Superstar uh, by Praz featuring Old Dirty Bastard, which was written for the soundtrack to the great film Bullworth by Warren Beatty. And it actually, like, features Warren Beatty and, the, like, members of the cast of the movie in the music video and was just such a part of, like, that very 90s, like, soundtrack original soundtrack industry where they were like you know just getting an artist to collaborate on these sort of original soundtracks that oftentimes those songs weren't even in the movies and they were just really trying to like merchandise the hell out of any movie so you have which uh wasn't that the same the situation with the new order song with Catherine bigelow's near dark that is song that right? is f- is was written for a movie but i don't think it's actually near dark um, oh, I thought I was seeing uh, Bill Paxton and people like that in in that video, but I could be wrong. Oh, well, yeah. Well, Bill Paxton is in the video. So actually, that, that would make sense as like, I don't know, like crew, like, you know, filmed at the same time or something. Um, some yeah. like Wong Kar Wai Anyways, shit. Anyways, that was the point you are going to make. Um, I just want to watch him do the... But yeah. I was just going to say, I don't know, there's just an amazing <laughs> moment in this video where Warren Beatty, like, Praz rips his face off and, like, he has a Warren Beatty mask on. And so just, I don't know, just having <laughs> Warren Beatty in a rap music video in the 90s just feels like the real sort of, like, decadent height of music video industry. On a side note, Bullworth is now on Hulu. So uh, you you should watch they, it. It's great. Yeah. I'm gonna, I have it on the list now. Oh, wow. Um. All right. Well, I think this is a good, a good, you know, a nice little primer as we, uh, as we head into yeah. the series. We talked a lot. Yeah, this is a great way to spend two hours. By the way, like just sit down and watch these in succession. It's a really fun time. Um, and I'll also like very quickly um, mention one video that we did not uh, really talk about in depth, but that is, um, uh, um, oh gosh, what's it called? Uh, All is full of love by Bjork, which is an absolutely beautiful. Uh, life affirming video um so it's just good that's yeah. all i have to say about it is it's good and um also worth mentioning it's directed by chris cunningham who i feel like is maybe the most respected like acclaimed video watcher who has never made a feature film and um to something you mentioned earlier about like home releases of music videos there was a like short-lived box set series of like music videos and commercials by like spike jones chris cunningham i I have the spike jones one yeah Yeah. michelle gondry which is just like one of the only times that that's really sort of been canonized like that and i really hope there's sort of more of that in the future because it is such a kind of unstable medium i also really quickly wanted to mention one that we didn't talk about that was on the list is uh, the video for Sabotage by the Beastie Boys, um, which I found a really interesting quote by Amy Poehler, where she said that, like, I mean, it makes sense because Spike Jones is going to produce Jackass, but she was like, you know, without the Sabotage video, you don't have, like, Will Ferrell or The Lonely Island or just, like, so much of 2000s comedy. And I think that's honestly watching that video. It's, like, totally true. Um, and so I just feel like that's another just, like, indicator of just, like, how much music videos are tied into film culture, you know, and, and how much of an impact they've ultimately had on the course of movies over the last 30, 40 years. That video is still very funny too. Um, all right. Well, that will wrap up this episode of Cinematary. Um, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cinematary on Twitter and Instagram and handle at cinematary and on letterbox at letterbox.com slash cinematary where we, we don't really have the, they don't, I don't think they really have music videos listed in, uh, in letterbox so uh 
you know, usually, unfortunately, only one, only the uh, Peter yeah, Gabriel so, videos uh, on but, You know, generally we have all the movies that we talked about in this episode listed on that. Um, and then, of course, you can find us if you want to watch the stream, you can go to our YouTube channel. Um, you can also catch us on Patreon. You know, if you would like to watch the live stream while we're doing the episode, we always post it into our Patreon page. Uh, go to patreon.com slash cinematary. Uh, but first, you know, thank you to our patrons, Cam, Chad Newsom, Christina Dodd. Daughtry, uh, Corey Willingham, Harry Eskin, Candace Sisson, Maggie, Mac- Michael Anthony Gonzalez, Ron Hayes, Titus Arthur, Tyler Chandler, and Whitney Rio Ross. Thank you so much for our for your patronage. Uh, next week we'll be continuing the music video series. Like Nathan said at the top, we'll be talking about Hype Williams, um, some Hype Williams mu- music videos there. Get hype, and we will have uh, another listing of where to watch those. Um, as well so uh thank you guys <laughs> we're also doing belly is that true uh or are we just doing know. videos what do we feel <laughs> i mean we can talk about belly in the first half i think because i did have some other dmx stuff i've watched yeah, recently yeah, yeah. that I, I i i think would be fun to talk about so we can throw belly in kind of okay. in the first half use that as our segue people should watch belly yeah. oh, just yeah. just know that that is a movie you should watch yeah all right thank you guys for listening we'll see you next week <laughs> <laughs>